This morning, our Unison Scripture reading will be taken from Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. We'll read here one of Jesus' most famous parables, perhaps his most beloved by many. In it, we see a context where the the Pharisees were gathered around and they, they looked at the tax collectors and other sinners who were in the midst of Jesus. He was gathered together with often. And, and they looked at these sinners as, as people who were lost. And they were right to do so, for indeed they were lost. But the Pharisees had a peculiar response to that, a peculiar attitude toward that. You see, they, they thought that since these people were lost, they ought to just disregard them. They, they were less, they were inferior, they were not as important. They should just be put out of mind, essentially. But Jesus had a very different attitude toward those who were lost. And he speaks to it in today's text in which he tells this parable, the parable of the prodigal son. It's actually part of a a larger parable, a parable with three parts. At first he speaks of a lost sheep, then he speaks of a lost coin, and then finally of a lost son. And we'll see in this that, that his attitude toward those who were lost, as I said, was very different from the Pharisees. For in speaking of the lost sheep, he speaks of the shepherd who goes out and finds that lost sheep. And in speaking of the lost coin, he speaks of the woman who searches and searches until she finds the lost coin. And now we read together the words of Luke 15, verses 11 through 24, as is printed in your bulletin. And we see Jesus' attitude toward the lost once more as we look at this case of a lost son. Let us read these words together, remembering that this is the very word of God. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Our Lord, we do come before you this day with great thanks in our heart for the grace that you have shown us. For we too once were lost. We had wandered to a far country. And you did not just leave us there, but you came and found us much as the sheep that had wandered off while there were still 99 there you were not content with that but you pursued us with a loving heart you you wooed us to yourself you brought us life when we were dead you gave us sight when we were blind you opened our ears when we were deaf that we might hear your voice that we might hear your call and that our hearts which once were of stone, but now were of flesh, might respond to that call. We thank you that you have done this in our lives. And we pray that today as we sit beneath your word, that you would speak to us from this text, that you would cause our eyes to see what you would have us see and our minds to comprehend what you would have them comprehend and our hearts to be affectionately stirred by those truths that are contained in your word. Be with us now. Speak to us. Teach us. Lead us. Be our God and our King and our Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before I've recently been on a journey I with my family visited my parents my my, my mother my wife's parents my grandmother her grandmother uh, cousins some uh, siblings we, we saw all kinds of family it was a wonderful trip we traveled through seven different states almost 3,000 miles and had a really nice time It was a good journey. Today's passage tells us of a series of journeys. It's a series of journeys that are taken by one we've come to know as the prodigal son. As I mentioned before, perhaps it would be better to call him the lost son, for truly that's what this parable is about. It's about being lost and how we are to respond to that. We see that this lost son traveled, though perhaps not as far geographically as I did. His journeys were far greater, 
far more important, far more immense. For he journeyed, we see in verse 13, to a far country. And then in verse 17, we see that he came to himself. And then finally, in verse 20, we see that he came to his father. I want to take a few minutes to unpack what we see in this passage, kind of centered around those three journeys to a far country, to himself, and ultimately to his father. In verse 11, we began this passage speaking of how there was this man who had two sons. Now, Jesus is telling a parable. This is not necessarily a true story. He's, he's made up this story to teach certain spiritual truths for a certain situation. So, so we need to understand what the situation is. As I said before, it, he's dealing with the Pharisees who are grumbling about the company that he's keeping. They're grumbling about the fact that he seems to have a heart that is affectionate toward those who are lost, that, that he is pursuing them, that he is concerned about them, that he is involved in their lives. They seem to be grumbling against this, grousing about it. And Jesus tells this story specifically in response to that, to teach them certain spiritual truths. As I said, it's kind of broken up into three parts. We've got the the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Actually, today's passage tells the first part about the lost son, but, but it goes on beyond here, and we'll actually take a look at the rest of the story next week because there's a lot of truth for us to learn from there as well. But we'll get to that next week, as I say. This week we want to focus here on this one lost son who was the younger son. In verse 12 we see he came to his father and said, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. You see, it's, it's important that we understand the cultural context of the day. He's, he's one of two sons, and so ultimately the family estate will be broken up between those two sons. It will be given to the two of them and divided between them. In that day, the firstborn son got a double share, so we can understand that the younger son would have ultimately ended up with a third of the estate, the older son with two-thirds of the older uh, of the estate. Being an oldest son, I kind of like that arrangement. I wish we'd go with that more often, but... Uh, Alas, that's not the way it is today, but it's important that we understand that's how it was then. And so he was, he was going to get one-third of the estate. Now, of course, it wasn't normal for him to get that at this point. When is it that he should inherit this? Well, he would inherit it when his father died, of course. You see, when his father died, the estate would get divided up. But the son has come to his father and said, said, Dad, you know, you know, when you die, I'm supposed to get a third of the estate. But I'd like, I'd like to just get it now. You see what he's essentially saying to the father is, Dad, I, I kind of wish you were dead. That's really what he's saying here. He's saying what, what's important to me is not so much the relationship that we have with one another. What's important to me is what I can get from you. What's important to me is these things, this money, the, the stuff I can get. And so often I look at my own life, 
and I ask the question, is that how I am with God? Do I love God for who he is and for the relationship that we have with one another? Or do I love him for the things that he can give me, for the blessings that he pours out in my life? If I stripped away all of the blessings that God has poured out in my life, would I love him just as much? And I have to be honest with you, when I search my heart, the answer is probably no. And that's a result of the sin that is so deep in my heart. That sin that needs to be rooted out, that sin that needs to be killed in my life, that sin that's so obvious in the life of this younger son here. It's an egregious request that he is making here, saying, Father, liquidate the assets here. You know, because, because it's not like the whole estate was in cash. If he's to take a third of the estate with him, he can't, he can't just say, well, the family farm, you know, I'll, I'll take a third of the farm with me and take it to some far-off country. That's not possible. And so when it tells us that he divided up his property among them, it means that he must have liquidated at least a third of the assets that they had and sent them to the son. Now this, of course, leaves the estate in a, a, a less viable situation economically, so it harms the estate. It, it harms the family as a whole. And obviously, just because of the very egregious nature of the request, it, it harms the relationship that the father and son had with each other. It is an egregious request that is being made, but the father gives into it. He gives the son the, the money that he has requested, one-third of the estate. We can assume it was a large amount. And the son takes it. He goes off looking to party, basically. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. So many of us in our younger days especially, some of us in our older days as well, want to live life that way, don't we? We just want to have it all be a party. You know, no responsibility, no, no jobs, no, no need to take care of anything other than my own satisfaction, my own enjoyment, just looking to live life for the moment. No concerns about the future. Let's just have it all be a party. That's what his mindset was here. He wanted to pursue self-indulgence, self self-fulfillment, uninhibited pleasure. That's what he's looking for here. And he goes off, we are told, not many days later on a journey into a far country. So he journeys to this far country. The younger son gathered together all that he had, all that the father had given to him. Because don't forget, all that he had was that which the father had given to him. And he journeys to this far country. Now again, as Jesus is speaking to these first century Jews, and especially the Pharisees who are very well learned, very studied in the word of God, they would have known that in their Bible, which was the Old Testament, there are various references to a far country. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 14, 
and in Isaiah 39, verse 3, we find two of them that speak of a far country. And in those places, the far country is Babylon. See, it is the place of exile. It is the place where the people of God were carried off into exile that they would not be in the presence of God in Jerusalem, no longer in the presence of their father, but instead carried off to a place of iniquity, a place of sin. And so it was for this young man. I'm not saying necessarily that he actually went off to Babylon. Perhaps he did. But we know that he went off to some far off place of exile, a place of sin, a place where we are told that he squandered all he had in reckless living. Well, when Jesus got to that point in the story, when he said that he had squandered all his property in the far off country, no doubt the Pharisees smugly smirked, said, yeah, serves him right, the punk. You know, the way he treated his father was reprehensible. He got what he deserved. Frankly, they're right. He did get what he deserved. He had sent himself on this physical and relational and spiritual exile. And whatever came his way really were his just deserts. And from our enlightened vantage point, we can surely see how foolish he was. But what perhaps we might not so readily see is this. Every time we sin, every time we turn away from God, every time we fail to walk in faithfulness, we are every bit as foolish as the prodigal son. And in my life, I know that that is often, and I'm sure it is in your life as well. You see, because every time we sin, we we turn away from God, we remove ourselves from the Father. We separate ourselves. We we put distance between. We we stiff-arm God, if it were. We we journey to a far country. We we say we would rather pursue our own self-indulgences, our own desires, than, than do what you would have us do, than follow you, than live according to your rules under your roof. We want to please ourselves. We sin and we strain the relationship that we have with our Father. You see, we want what the Father can give us. But we fail to cultivate the relationship he has with us. We fail to spend time in his word. We fail to spend time with him in prayer. We fail to spend time with his people, the body of Christ, the church. And we turn away from him in sin, and we are every bit as foolish as the prodigal son, and we deserve every bit of what he received. It's a pretty dreadful scenario, to be honest with you, isn't it? But there is hope for us. 
We see it in the life of this lost son. We see it in the very fact, in verse 17, that he came to himself. This second journey isn't really a physical journey. It's more uh, of a journey of state of being. He came to himself. This only happened, we need to realize, once he had been humbled, once he had received the discipline of God meted out to him through the circumstances of his life. In verse 14, we see that he spent everything. He had, he had spent everything. He had nothing anymore. And you think, well, okay, you, know, you spent it all, but you can just go make some more money, right? But then there's a problem. It says a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. It sounds like a, a good idea. Get a job, right? <laughs> That's what he needs to do. But when we see that he hired himself out, that we, we lose some of the connection there uh, of what it's really saying. It, it quite literally means he, he glued himself to one of the citizens of the country. He, he affixed himself to him. He was connected to him. And he, so he, he was caused to do whatever that person would have him do. He essentially was was uh, a slave to him and and what was it that this person had him do well he sent him out to feed the pigs it couldn't really be a whole lot worse he's run out of money a famine has hit he's no longer free he's tied to this other person and now pigs you see in the Jewish understanding pigs were unclean Leviticus 11 verse 7 says the pig because it's parts the hoof and is cloven footed but does not chew the cud is unclean to you I had a friend in college who whose family lived on a pig farm and I visited that farm once, and I can attest that pigs are unclean. They were very dirty. But that is not the kind of unclean that the Bible is talking about here. In addition to being physically dirty, more importantly, more directly, more to the point here, they, they were unclean ceremonially so that anyone who came into contact with them would be ceremonially unclean. And if you were ceremonially unclean, that meant you had to separate yourself from the rest of the people of God. It meant you had to separate yourself from the worship of God even because you could not enter the temple if you were unclean. So, so you were separated from the people of God, from the worship of God. You were cut off. To be feeding the pigs was the, the worst job imaginable. And that was what he's reduced to. But Beyond that, it gets even worse. We see where he was. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. How hungry would you have to be, really? Just think about, you know, the, the slop that they feed the pigs. Boy, I wish I could eat some of that. You'd have to be pretty hungry. That's how hungry he was. But it gets worse. 
Verse 16 says, and no one gave him anything. Wow. That's pretty desperate. It's pretty desperate because physically he's, he's starving, quite literally, and nobody is providing for him. But it's pretty desperate also because he's in a situation where he realizes that he is in a context where the people there have food for the pigs, but they don't have food for him. The pigs are more important than he is. So demeaned is his standing that the lowest of the low, these unclean pigs, are more valuable than he is in the sight of those he is with. That is what it is to be truly humbled. And he had been humbled. But it's only since he is humbled, that is the only reason he is able to make this second journey. That he is able in verse 17 to come to himself, as it says. We could say, and and some Bible translations do say this, he came to his senses. The idea is the light bulb popped on. He, He realized, oh my goodness, I'm rolling around with the pigs. I'm wishing I could be a pig right now. You know, that would be better than I am. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is ridiculous. He, he rightly assesses the situation. He, he realizes how in need he is. He realizes that there is one who can provide for that need, one who is able one who has the ability, and it is his father. His father can provide that which he needs. And he realizes what is necessary to be reconciled with his father. He says in verse 17, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. So he says, I, I could just go to him and be his son and everything would be fine. No, that's not what he says. He realizes In order to be reconciled, he will need to confess and repent of his sins. I will arise and go to my father, he says in verse 18. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. You see, he realizes he has not just made unwise choices. He has not just made miscalculations. He has not just uh, had youthful indiscretions. Boys will be boys after all. No, he has sinned. He has sinned against heaven, that is against God. And he has sinned against his father. And so it is, he rightly realizes that as a result of that sin, he is no longer worthy of being called the son of his father. You see at verse 19, he says that he, he, he has taken his money, left him economically uh, not as viable, but he's also, more importantly, brought shame upon the father. He has brought shame upon him in this culture that so highly values uh, reputation. He has brought disfavor upon the family name. And he truly is no longer worthy to be called his son because of this sin against him. 
And so he figures, I'll just ask him to take me on as a hired servant. Uh, he can hire me. I can earn some money. Maybe I can pay back my debt even. Well, this kind of sin does incur a debt. And so it is with us. When we sin, we're not just making unwise choices. We're not just being unwise. It is unwise to sin, but our sin is something more than that. It is a a heinous affront to our God and Father. It is a rebellion against him. We are taking our sin far too lightly if we think of it as anything less than that. And sometimes we need to be humbled. We truly need to be humbled, just as the prodigal son was humbled. We think that we know what's best for ourselves. We think we know what will make us happy. We think we know what we want to pursue, but it is the Father who knows best. We think we can save ourselves. We think we can pay back the debt that we have accrued. Nothing could be further from the truth. We need to be humbled at times. Psalm 119 Verse 71, the psalmist says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Sometimes we need to be afflicted. We need to be humbled. We need to learn that we can't save ourselves. We need to be taken to the end of our rope. Now, for others, there are, there are probably some of us who who seem like we are at the end of our rope. God, how, how much further can I go? You, you have humbled me enough, God. There are some of us who, who night after night cry into our pillows. Why, God, why? When will you deliver me? When? I'm humbled. Uncle. no answer comes back and that is hard and I can't tell you something that will make that go away but I do want you to remember these things first of all though hardship sometimes is a direct result of our sin it is not always the case sometimes God is doing things that we can't imagine that we can't fathom in our lives that really have nothing to do with us Or he's using us in such a way to teach somebody else something even. Or sometimes he's teaching us something. He's doing lots of things. Secondly, that that hardship that comes your way did not sneak by God. He he did not fall asleep while he was on guard duty and it, it snuck in. He did not fail to catch it as it passed by. Whatever hardship has come your way, it has come your way because God has has deemed it necessary for it to come your way. It's been said that he will allow no thing which is not necessary, and he will withhold no necessary thing. He is not asleep at the wheel, and furthermore, Jesus Christ knows what it is to endure hardship. He knows what it is every bit as much as us, even more so. That's what he did his whole life. He endured hardship. What a wonderful blessing it is that God took on human flesh, that he he walked in human flesh, that he lived a life where he experienced the same difficulties we experienced, the same trials, the same 
traumas, the same difficulties, the same sadnesses, the same griefs. And beyond that, even greater hardship, having once experienced infinite glory, setting that glory aside, and in place of it, taking on the ignominy of the cross, the shame of the cross, the pain of the cross. He knows what it is to endure hardship. And if you trust in him, if you trust in Christ Jesus, then his spirit dwells within you. And his prayers go before the Father's throne on your behalf. And he is with you and he is for you. And even though you might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He will be there with you and he will comfort you. For others of us, our hardship is a direct result of our sin. We could say, yep, I sinned here and I am reaping the results. If that is the case, let us confess and repent of our sin. Let us, like the prodigal son, turn away from it and let us return from the far country to our father's house let us make with him that third journey where we see that he came to his father he realized what he needed to do he devised his plan he came up with this plan i'll confess i will repent hopefully i'll be hired on he comes to his father remember when he was in the far country how low he was how how ill esteemed he was how little he was thought of how little he was valued less than the pigs Well, how do you think he was thought of in his father's eyes? In his father, the one who was most directly impacted by his sin, the one who had been most harmed by his sin. How do you think the father felt about him? Well, we see it right here. In verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. The father had been looking. The father had been looking down the road. He had been searching. He had been longing for him. And his heart was filled with compassion, we see. And his heart went out to him, but not just his heart. He physically went out to him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. Imagine the Pharisees at this point. They can't figure this out. What, What do you mean he ran out and embraced him and kissed him? How could he possibly do this? It makes no sense. And they're right once more. It does make no sense. That is the grace of God. It doesn't make sense. And yet it is ours. Look at what he does here. It it really makes no sense. He ran out and embraced. Now, Now in this culture, again, superiors don't approach inferiors. They wait for the inferior to come to them. And yet the father ran out to him. He ran out. It's the most undignified thing he could do. You see, he'd have to have to lift up his, his robe so that he could run, bearing his legs. This is something that, that a grown man in this culture would never do. It is, it is scandalous, really. Children might run. You know, maybe little boys and girls, but, but not a grown man lifting up his robes and running no matter. He doesn't know why the sons come back. He's seen them off in the distance. 
He doesn't know the change of heart that's occurred in the son. It's not like the son called ahead, right? <laughs> he, he doesn't know what's happening. For all he knows, the son's coming back saying, Dad ran out of money, need a little more. But he runs off. He passionately embraces him. Literally, it says he threw himself on his neck. Pharisees say, yeah, he threw himself on his neck. No, that's not what it's saying. He threw himself on him. He embraced him. He hugged him. He kissed him. And the son began his well-rehearsed speech. Imagine how many times he rehearsed it on the way there. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he can even get the whole speech out, the father cuts him off. And I'm reminded of the words of Ephesians 3, verse 20. that say that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. The father says to the servants, before he can even ask to become a hired servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The best robe is a sign of honor. The, the, the ring would be a signet ring. It's, it's a sign of authority. The shoes on his feet would be be to show that he is a a free man and not a slave. Only the poorest of the poor would go barefoot. That's why he's barefoot at this point, right? But put shoes on his feet because he is no longer a slave. He is a free man. He is my son. And I love him. One commentator observed that the only thing he withheld from him was the opportunity to be a hired servant. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. It is the fat and calf, something saved for the most precious of celebrations, the most wonderful occasions. It's kind of like kind of like it's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And he says, Go grab the turkey and cook it today. You better have a good reason, right? <laughs> you better have a good reason. They have the best of reasons. This my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, but now is found. And they began to celebrate. They began to party. Isn't it ironic? What did the young son go off looking for? He went off to go party. And now he finds what he was looking for all along. Here in the father's home. We are just as needy as the prodigal son was. Just as needy. And our God is just as gracious as his Father. And so in closing, I have these two thoughts. First, if you are not a believer, if you are not a child of God, if you are not one who has trusted in Christ Jesus alone to pay for your sins, then I plead of you today, believe, trust in him. Know that no matter how badly you have sinned, no matter how far you have wandered, ultimately, none of that need determine your standing before God. There's no way you can repay your debt. But if you trust in Christ Jesus, then your debt has been paid by him and the Father's loving embrace is waiting for you. And if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, if you are, then I 
say, let us start living as sons are supposed to love, live. Galatians 4 reads, but, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are heirs through Christ Jesus. So let us live like Christ Jesus. There are a thousand applications of that. A thousand ways, but specifically in this case, we need to realize, contra the thoughts of the Pharisees, what it means toward our attitude toward the lost. Jesus says earlier in Luke 15, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus Christ's heart was for sinners, that they would be saved, the least and the lost, those who needed a Savior. Is that where our hearts are? Is that where our hearts are as individuals? Is that where our heart is as a church? We need to pray about that. We need to truly examine that. We need to see if that's really where we are. And secondly, may we be a forgiving church as the father in this parable was a forgiving father. He didn't wait. He ran out. Neither should we. If there is enmity between us and someone, we need to go to them. We need to take the initiative. We need to forgive because we have been forgiven greatly. Let us never forget that fact. If we have been forgiven greatly, we too must forgive. And as we do, we will all the more know the love of the Father. Let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your grace, for your irrational love toward us, for your love that makes no sense, for the fact that you forgive us, though we are unworthy of forgiveness. We thank you for Christ Jesus, who is worthy, who is worthy in every way, and in whom we have that forgiveness. We thank you for the fact that you sent him to die for our sins, and we thank you for the fact that his spirit dwells within us and leads us even now. Be with us. Help us to know these truths more deeply. Help us to live according to them each day. Give us hearts that forgive, hearts that not only not only forgive internally, but who seek reconciliation, who go out and pursue those who we need to forgive, that we might be reconciled to them and, and help us to be those who long to see others know your loving embrace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise now as we sing our closing hymn.